Welcome back to the second episode of Polygon's Quality Control, where we do a deep dive on Star Wars The Last Jedi. I'm joined again, as I was last week, by our entertainment editor, Susanna Polo. How are you, Susanna? I'm good. Guides editor, Dave Tack. Hello. And opinions editor, Ben Kachera. How are you, Ben? I feel awesome. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, much better than Luke Skywalker feels, I'll tell you that. But wah, wah. Wah, wah. I wanted to pick up where we left off, and that was last week with Susanna, who very much wanted to talk about the reflection, the yeah. multiverse of rays under the Jedi Island. Um, so, Susanna, take it away. What, uh, what, what did you think of this scene down there? Well, it's, you know, it's very clearly the the parallel to Luke walking into the tree on Dagobah, you know, only what do you take with you? And seeing the thing that he has to do at the end of the movie and realizing that and getting this premonition that it may have more terrible consequence than he can, you know, potentially imagine. I found it, I thought it was a great moment for Ray. I wanted to make sure we didn't skip over it and to get everybody's like opinion on it. Um the use of voiceover in it felt really jarring to me. Yeah, it was confusing, right? Like, you have, yeah. to, you have to figure out later that she's talking to Kylo about it. Yeah, it's 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 interesting sometimes to, like, get so used to the idea of Star Wars that you... It branches into very basic, like, film communication techniques. And you're like, wait a second, I don't understand what's going on. Um, but I think as a, as a metaphor for like her conflict over the course of this film and her the theme that Last Jedi gives her, I, I thought it worked super good. Yeah, they really don't ask quite that much of the audience uh, in, in as far as the narrative structure of a, a Star Wars movie goes. And it was a departure. And I don't know, it was just, I I, had, I have the same problem with it that I had with the, the dark hole in the ground in Empire or Return of the Jedi or whatever it was. I, I, I like neither of these scenes equally (laughs) (laughs) i think the point in empire is uh, i think it's easier for me to understand like i think the point of the force cave is that if luke isn't careful he's fighting himself or what he can become you know as darth vader this i think is designed to be the same sort of weird but i'm not entirely sure i understand quite what the point is not that it doesn't have a point but be- because it's, you know, it's delivered in a strange way like it's supposed to be, I- I'm still f- sort of struggling with that beyond the idea that, like, the point this movie does try to make is that it doesn't matter who Ray's parents are, right? Like, I don't know if, I-, I think Kylo probably believes what he tells her later on, but I'm not sure that that's true. And even if it's not true, I'm not sure that it matters because I think one of the points in this trilogy overall and certainly this movie specifically is that like we've we're moving beyond sort of heritage and skywalkers and, and taking star wars to a new place but beyond like i said beyond that sort of idea that ties into the rest of the movie the specifics of the reflections and and all of that i i'm, I'm not sure what that signifies yeah there's a scene in the never ending story that kind of oddly enough Ooh. It is a lot. It's a lot like this, where uh, he has to face his true self uh, in the. It's the magic mirror gate, and like uh, the character who's explaining all this to Falcor is like, 
brave people find out that they're really cowards. Uh, kind people find out that they are cruel. Like facing your true self is the hardest challenge that any any person can do. And that I thought was interesting. But then I don't know that the Last Jedi did anything with that idea. Like it it spun up and then had no place to put that energy. It felt like I don't think we learned that much. I don't think Ray learned that much. Other than the Force is weird. Like, maybe she just... That that weird animal milk was just, like, spiked with LSD. And she had a rough 12 hours. Well, I think that the clearest role that it has in the plot is that it gives Rey a reason to go to Kylo Ren and be like, I had this weird experience, um, and I don't know what mm-hmm. it means. Yeah, right. It does lead into the next thing, where you realize she's talking in voiceover. Yeah, um, but... And I, I, for me, I wonder if, and this is like extreme speculation, um, but I wonder if it's something that we're going to see come back in the third film or third or films beyond, you know, because her Luke's reaction when she initially like makes contact with the dark space below the island, whatever it is, um, is, oh my God, you went careening straight for it. You didn't even hesitate. You weren't afraid of it. It offers something that she wants. And, and and she doesn't think about it. She just goes for it. Yeah, and she winds up coming out of there. I mean, she goes to talk to Kylo Ren, but if, like, she hadn't, if she hadn't, like, without sort of Ren's influence, she doesn't, she doesn't get, what she gets out of going down there isn't, oh, I'm on the dark side now, or right. I've been tainted, or she goes mm-hmm. down there and she gets what is a pretty, like, um, non-manipulative, like, like force that is like uh the yeah. answers that you want are within you mm-hmm. um and that's like it's interesting to me that the consequences of her going down there are not she seems to be okay um yeah but but luke is so frightened of it yeah i think it's maybe a um i mean this isn't the first time ray has had a strange sequence right like it happened at the end of uh, the Force Awakens too, uh, and it was sort of you know tied to the lightsaber, and there was all that like you know weaving in of Obi Wan Kenobi's voice and Yoda's voice, uh, and I wonder if maybe it is because if we take the past and, and extrapolate forward, we would have expected her, and even what Luke said in this movie, we we would have expected her to find something terrible and dark down there, right? It's the balance of the light and the dark, and that's been a theme in Star Wars for a long time, and I wonder if. Because, I, as I've said, I can't get super specific because I don't fully understand it. But I wonder if it's it's playing with our expectations in, in the sense that, like, uh, maybe it isn't so binary yeah. as, as you know, dark and light mm-hmm. anymore. That's what I'm hoping. My fingers are crossed on that. I think that would be a really interesting place for the franchise to go next. And I'd be really interested to see what they do with actually talking about, like, okay, but what if it wasn't? What if we could convincingly bridge two very polar opposites? Mm-hmm. And of course, Ray, uh, we talk about the confrontation between Ray and Luke and her decision to leave Octo and go to Kylo Ren a-, a lot last week. But what happens immediately after that scene is that Luke shows up at the Jedi tree with a a space torch, a space flare, and he is going to burn that mother down. He's had it. And who appears but a remarkably practically affected 
Yoda, mm-hmm. a beautiful mm-hmm. puppet of Yoda. What did you guys all think of the decision to to go with a regular Yoda here? Great. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's pretty good. It was it was a little. It's so dumb, but it's true. It was a little jarring at first because I'd become used to digital Yoda. Mm-hmm. Like I thought, it looks like Yoda's been eating a lot of carbs in the nether realm, <laughs> nether world at first. And then, but you know, that was the first time I saw it. I read a uh, an interview later with Ryan Johnson who said like they went to the Lucasfilm archives and made the new Yoda costume from the mold of the old one, and they worked with Frank Oz, who you know was the puppeteer and voices Yoda. Uh, you know, went back and forth with him to make sure it was just right. So like it it is, it, it, it's exactly the kind of thing that a person of a certain age who grew up with Star Wars and was now making a Star Wars movie would totally do <laughs> if they were bringing Yoda back, right? Like, no, let's just make the, the, the original one. And I think it also thematically, like, because Yoda's had a lot of different looks over the years, I think thematically it works really well because this is very much the Yoda from Empire, the mm-hmm. the, the, the the laughy one, not the yeah. super serious yeah. one. The, the cheeky, mm-hmm. very uh, impish Yoda. Um, as soon as he appeared on screen, I, in in my the first time I saw the movie, I immediately became very anxious because um, I talk I talk about this again. I've, I've said before that I've, you know I talked obliquely about some specific things in my review. That like this is the scene where I was like Ryan, no, you don't have to do this. Like this is too hard. <laughs> You're not going to be able to accomplish this. There's absolutely no way that you can put a coda on everything that yoda did in empire strikes back like you can't you can't put a coda on that is why you fail you can't put a coda on like try or you know do or do not there is no try like you you can't you can't you're not gonna be able to do that and then he did as far as i'm concerned like this scene works yes it's super meaningful and it is the emotional one of the emotional cores of the movie Mm -hmm. um and it's also very funny and is very in character for mm-hmm. Yoda and Luke. Yeah, it definitely feels like both of them to me. Yeah, it was just delightful. The the thing that I loved about it though was that <clears throat> okay, we want to we want to burn down the Jedi tree, right? We want that to happen. But but Luke can't do it. If Luke burns down the Jedi tree and destroys those writings, it is a tragedy. It is a, a moral failure of in in him if yoda does it though that's cool that is perfectly <laughs> legit like loda gets to burn down whatever the f- he wants okay but here's the thing charlie did you notice that at the very end of the movie when finn opens a drawer on the millennium falcon and pulls out a blanket to cover rose that the books are in the drawer uh-huh. i absolutely noticed that the second time through there's a yeah. lot of little stuff like that that i saw the second time through and i gasped i gasped susanna i don't know which what that means, means that when yoda says to luke that girl has everything that she needs with her already <laughs> he's just being an asshole yeah oh, that's great yep. and he, bur- yep. he burns that tree just to make a point to luke and laughs like a silly ass yeah it was such a it was such an amazing trolling move, <laughs> right? And and there was the, the, I did get a sense of like Luke is being so childish in this scene. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is a temper tantrum where your kids go, if you don't whatever, I'm gonna smash this. Okay, smash it. I swear to God, I'm gonna smash this. 
I hate while smashing. <laughs> this is a very important thing. And you know if, if I smash it, it will never come. Yes, I know. I'm just saying I'm so angry. I'm going to do so- Okay, yes, I know you're very. And, like, you do get a sense that he would probably never have gotten around to it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it was basically just a threat. And Yoda called his bluff in the, the most amazing like 40 chess manner. Yeah, it right? turns out, turns really out the was. light side can do lightning too. It's just a little different. <laughs> uh, I think that's that's I think what's interesting too here is that Yoda is the one who does it because this is still, you know, I, I spoke at length and I won't rehash old arguments in the last podcast about how there's a disconnect for me with Luke. But one of the things that I uh, I think it's time to say is that if 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 I can put that aside, the Luke of this movie is I think internally consistent. He is still torn. He is still angry. He is still like he came to the island to die, but he didn't. Not to be gross here, but he didn't kill himself. Right? Mm-hmm. He's wearing yeah. when Ray meets him. He's wearing the Jedi robes. He changes when she's around. That, that there might be something to that. But he changes back into his Jedi robes at this point to 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 you know to set fire to the place, and he can't bring himself to do it. And that whole wrap up here with Yoda is about Luke being Luke, tying mm-hmm. it back into the Luke we're familiar with, always looking to the horizon, never concentrating on where you are, hitting him in the face with a little stick, you know that kind of <laughs> stuff. And of course, the coda, as as Susanna put it, that he that Ryan Johnson puts onto this, it comes out of Yoda's mouth. We are what they grow beyond. Right. That is the true burden of all masters. And that's the entire, it's another thing that I think is a really interesting theme of the film, that the film to, to date, we don't know what the third film is going to be like, obviously doesn't do much with, I really do like the idea of, like, there is no mastery. Like, we don't own the Force. The whole idea is to do the right thing moment to moment and grow past your mistakes and continuously strive. Uh, but, like, no one really does anything with that idea. I don't know. I think I think that Yoda has two lines here that, to me, echo throughout the entire franchise. And one of them is the one about outgrowing your masters, because that's... Obi-Wan outgrowing Qui-Gon. That's Anakin. You know, that's Luke outgrowing Yoda. Like, that's what Yoda's talking about. It it works Um, on the dark side, too. Yeah. Kylo Ren outgrows Snoke in this movie. Just with Um, less murder on the light side. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Although, you know, in the case of Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, you know. um, And the other thing Yoda says that that for me is, like, really the the nugget of this is um, he says that failure is the best teacher. Yeah. And that's an amazing thing. I mean, that's like, you know, that that recontextualizes Luke's entire arc in Empire um, and why Yoda was like, you know what? I think you have learned enough to be a Jedi the moment that Luke comes back, you know, from facing Vader and says, I fucked up. And it contextualizes, you know, sort of, you know, and, and it's about, you know, Luke failing with Kylo Ren and Luke feeling like he's still a failure now. And it is also about Obi-Wan failing with Anakin. And it is also about Yoda being in charge of the Jedi Order in a time when they were at their most hierarchical and most isolated and couldn't stop the Sith from rising and couldn't stop the galaxy from descending into fascism. Mm -hmm. Yoda knows of what he speaks. Yeah. Failed I have. Mm -hmm. Right. Into exile. He goes like it's not 
This is not at all out of character. And like the first time I watched this, I was, I, I have to say, I bristled because I was like, wait a minute, what? We, we don't need to burn down everything about Star Wars, like to literally burn it down. Like, and and it's not, it is not as harsh as it at first seems because really what this is is the inciting incident. Ultimately, without this conversation, Luke would have been. Uh, he would have been acting the way he had acted, you know, pouty and angry and believing that he that to remove himself from the chessboard was the best thing for the universe. It's after this conversation and specifically the idea that, like, he, you know, he goes to confession, says, I screwed up big time. And his mentor says, you know, we learn from our mistakes. This is the inciting incident that gets him to the you know to return to becoming luke skywalker the one that we all know the one who shows up at the end of the movie and we learned from our mistakes is also what the other arcs of the movie are about that poe learns from his mistakes that everything that finn and rose do ultimately turns out to be a mistake in so many ways on so many levels yeah it's yeah it's the it is the it is what everyone what everyone is is, and ray fails Ray's whole plan is a bad plan and it doesn't work. Um, And that's what everybody does in this movie is that they fail their way towards a better understanding of who they are. Of course, from this point forward, a lot of things begin to happen very quickly. One of the first things that happens, uh, and I want to stay with this Ray plot line here for a little bit. One of the first things that, that happens is Chewie jumps in over Snoke's ship drops out an escape pod with Ray inside, and then she is escorted onto the hangared bay, and who's waiting for her but Kylo Ren. And we get this fantastic image, just like Luke went to Vader in Return of the Jedi. Yes. Ray goes to Kylo, and they're up in the elevator, and they enter the throne room, and they are now before Snoke. Yeah, you nailed it. Like, the decision that Ray makes at this point is the same. It comes from the same ideas that you know, had Luke go confront Vader. I know there's good in him. I can change him. It's also that light motif I talked about last time where everybody thinks they can see the future and it's always wrong. But mm-hmm. like the, the, this is a really, I think a really interesting twist on the idea that people believe they, you know, Luke believed he could change Vader and he was proven right. Ray makes the exact same decision and goes to a bad place for the same reason because she's seen his future and she knows he'll turn and he doesn't have to be bad. It's just set. It's, but it doesn't work out. It may be a mirror reflection up to a certain point, but it doesn't work out for her in the way it did for Luke. Yeah. Once we get into the third act of the film is where it starts really turning from what, what we've been conditioned to expect by being like, okay, this is the second film in a star Wars trilogy. It's going to be a lot like the empire strikes back. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to make poor choices and nothing's going to turn out. Okay. Um, and everything, everybody's making poor choices, but some of them turn out okay, kind of, <laughs> or at least like very different than we would expect. My favorite part of this, though, <clears throat> was that we, you know, we have this redux of the confrontation with the emperor, right? And instead of a, a poor, gigantically tall actor inside of a, a Frankenstein costume trying desperately to emote with his shoulders... We have Kylo Ren there with his mask off, and we can see all of the emotions that are streaming across him throughout this entire sequence. I thought that 
the acting in this particular uh, scene was was just some of the best that we've seen from the entire franchise. I was blown away by it. Yeah, Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley are incredible. Yeah, and Adam, I mean, we Kylo Ren got rid of his mask completely. Like he was mocked for it. He destroyed it in a temper tantrum. Yep. It's just. That the toys didn't sell. Ryan Johnson <laughs> got rid of that entire look. Do you think if Snoke told him that his shirt was a childish affectation, he would stop wearing that all the time too? I, do you think that's what happened in that one scene, right? Where he was just like, apparently, he's like, maybe shirts. this is my new look. <laughs> no mask, yeah. no shirt. But of course, this is also the scene where we just very casually, almost. Cut Snoke into four pieces. Um, oh, yes. I guess it is four uh, pieces, isn't it? Because his hands. hands it, yeah. it was very, I, there was a lot of geometry going to- on you're, later. No, you're totally right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, 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 I'm still conf- not confused. I'm conflicted. Like, do I want to know more about Snoke? I don't know. I, I think I do. Yeah. Well, I, I think everybody did. And that's a perfectly natural reaction. And I think the people who are up, uh, you know, upset about this or don't like this or, or whatever, confused about it, they are they feel that way because we didn't get any Snoke. Like he seemed like he would be bigger and more interesting, and Ryan Johnson made the choice to dispatch him. Now I I happen to think that like uh, I I am simultaneously bummed that we didn't learn more about Snoke, but his death is so important to Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. That um, that that I think it justifies it happening because what what did we what did we know for for one and three quarters movies at this point you know the the idea that to move forward to become what Kylo Ren needs to be he had to kill his parents he did he he got his dad in the first movie he hesitated on his mom in the at the beginning of the second by the time we get here you realize that it's not just his biological parents. Or not even necessarily only his biological parents that he needs to kill to move on. It's his surrogate father. It's Snoke. Like, that's the point of that. And that is the moment where Kylo Ren stops being so conflicted, right? He, he is resolved at that point, And it only happened because of that. And I think it works. Even if I'm a little bummed that, like, Snoke just wound up being not much. But we're also in a completely uncharted territory for mm-hmm. both the light side and the dark side of the force. They always, I believe it was Yoda who said there is, there are always two, a master and a student. Uh, and, and now there are only masters and those two masters are Kylo and Ray at the end of this movie. Yeah. I, I, this was one of the decisions the movie made that like, that I was like, at first, at first I was like, wow, that's crazy. I can't believe you're doing that. And then it was like, Oh, I'm so glad you're doing this. Why? Um, because well, I was, I realized that like one of the problems that Star Wars movies have, have overcome and been really compelling, um, but sort of one of the like weird, awkward things that they do all the time is that the apprent on the Sith side and the dark side, the apprentice is always more interesting to the audience than the master. Um, everybody freaking loves Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to bring him back with robots, robot spider legs in the cartoon um, to like sate people's interest in it. Um, we always get more time spent on the map. We've always had more time spent on Darth Vader and even Count Dooku than we ever had on the Emperor, um, sort of as the Emperor. Um, 
And that has meant that as an audience, we are more interested in Vader than the Emperor. We're more, and particularly in this new trilogy, we're way more interested in Kylo Ren than in Snoke. He has a personal connection with the majority of the cast. He has, he has, you know, at this point, he has a movie and a half of really intense emotional history for the audience mm-hmm. to connect to. And Snoke has, we have nothing with Snoke. We don't even have a backstory for him to catch it to catch Snoke up to the place where he would be as compelling as Kylo Ren would require a huge lift. And the trick of this is they're just like, oh, well, like, what if we what if we have Ren murder him and take his place and actually be the biggest big bad mm-hmm. of the trilogy? We've saw we've like this is the Gordian knot cut. Um <laughs> that this is like this it's so smart um and it and it and it, demonst- and it demonstrates such a willingness to break with one of the most consistent tropes of star wars and like to really hint at the idea that like no we're really like luke said the jedi have to die and that the the whole idea of this is that the old pattern of things has to die and this is one of the clearest ways that we're actually doing it well but they're doing it. I see what you're saying, but they're also doing it in the way that it's happened before, right? Like that's what happens with mm-hmm. Siths and their masters. Like they're yeah. moving forward by by this is one of the things about the movie that that I haven't quite settled yet because it is at times like this sort of sim- try it wants to have it both ways, right? It wants to pull from the past when it's convenient, but it also wants to flip the middle finger to the past when it's convenient. And sometimes, like this, it's trying to have it both ways simultaneously. And I'm not sure it entirely works because we're, we're, I think we're supposed to believe that like it's, it's different, but also the same, but also different. Does that make any sense, what I just said? Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I think what you've just said is true, but whereas you feel confused and conflicted about it, my stance is like, no, this is exactly what they should be doing. They should be mixing um, twists on old patterns with callbacks to those old yeah. patterns. That's how you. That's how you surprise your audience. That's oh, how sure. You... I'm not. I'm not arguing against it. Yeah. I'm. I'm just saying, like the movie internally struggles. I think with that, uh, mm-hmm. like sort of drawing those lines. Although it's not. I don't know. It's just not super consistent to me. Like it's sometimes it's burn it all down. And sometimes it's, well, the books are really saved, so we didn't actually burn it all down. You know what I mean? Like, it's the movie does both. It wants to, it, it look, I, like, I am not arguing for regression or that everything has to say the same or anything like that, because I think that'd be basically silly and ultimately boring. Like, I, I but it, it doesn't necessarily, and I think what Kylo Ren says here kind of sums up, you know, the, the, the conflict for me, which is like, I took notes, so I've seen the movie three times now. I've, I've been on an emotional journey through all of them. Uh, but the nicest thing about seeing it for the third time was I wasn't trying to figure things out anymore. Right. I knew what was coming so I could be in the moment and think about what was happening. And this is, uh, this is the line that, like, probably more than any other has, has occurred to me over and over and over in my head. And, uh, and it's when Kylo Ren says... Uh, it, it's time to let old things die. Snoke, Skywalker, the Sith, the Jedi, the Rebels, let it all die. 
and he, you know, he tells Ray that you know we, we can rule together and bring a new order to the, to the galaxy, and like that is totally like it. It's that sounds like kind of the theme of the movie, right? Like we have to move beyond the Skywalkers and the this and the that, and, and, and like it's the movie is sort of making that argument throughout, right? Um, but but it is a weird theme to deliver from the evilest of evil people in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And a weird theme for him to deliver and then be like, so yeah, so what we're going to do with our newfound freedom is exactly the same thing that the dark side has always wanted to do. Right. You, you see what I mean when I say like it's trying to have it both ways, right? It's mm-hmm. trying to say, let's move on to hell with everybody, but it also puts that in the bad guy's mouth and it's like, well then wait a minute, do I, how, if I agree with him, is that, bad or what like it's 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 blurring lines i don't think that's necessarily incompetence i I think it's deliberately muddying the waters Mm -hmm. it's yeah i mean he's he's basically using a rhetorical trick to like reframe this debate in a way that's more palatable Mm mm-hmm he i mean it's it's the same offer we've heard offered to many heroes in many films like look let's just do away with this conflict we'll save billions of lives yeah. whatever and he's like and the way we'll do it is get this just you know how the sith are organized let's just do that but we're gonna call it something else <laughs> sounds good right but like the way he lays it out it is it is a compelling offer it does sound different but it is not and i think and he, he and he clearly believes himself yeah oh yeah for sure and like when ray says don't do this he does the, the this one like maybe my favorite character flaw in Kylo Ren is the uh, the tantrum because Ray says don't do this and she's teary eyed and he goes no 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 you're still <laughs> holding on let it go mm-hmm. again here, the, the argument is should I hold on should I let go for what purpose as long as we're here we've gotten to the pivotal moment for Ray of the movie as well we want to talk about that let's I don't remember exactly how they get on the subject right now um, but Ren basically forces her to confront the idea of who she is Yes, it's the latter half of the conversation. It's it's still part of this. It's this final. We- I saw it as this final weapon that he was using against yes. her in this battle. Well said. To win her over, yeah, and you know, people people have argued like, oh, well, like maybe that was just something Snoke fed him, and it's not really true. It's like, yeah, but I don't like look at Daisy Ridley's face when she says it. I'm no. They were no one. They were nobodies. Yeah, he says, uh, this is one of the things I was able to type down on my phone as I was watching it the third time. He says, you have no place in this story. And the way he delivers it is great. It's not anger, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, you have no place in this story. You come from nothing. You're nothing. But not to me. Join me. Please. Just classic abuser shit. Like, mm-hmm. you're worthless <sighs> except to me. You have no one else but me. When, like, at this point, moment in the film, she is... Literally the most important person in the galaxy to Luke, to Yoda, to Leia, to, you know, to Finn, you know. But she's still that abandoned child. And that's what he's using against her. And it's that's mm-hmm. chilling. Yeah. And like, I know that there's a lot of people upset about like, if Ray comes from nothing, but that I have to, just for whatever it's worth. I, I'm I was never invested in Ray's lineage i care about ray like it doesn't matter to me who she was born of like part of this is again the theme i think that exists here is we're moving away from lineage we're moving away from it it matters and that's why killing snoke at this point isn't 
the heretical move that everyone thinks it is. Because who cares how he got there? Like, the only big reveal, it, it could have been just one moment, everyone would have went, oh, that makes sense. But it, it wouldn't change why he's there. It wouldn't change why he's doing what he's doing. Like, his actions in the plot are driven by things he decides to do. His past doesn't actively matter in the same way, like we were saying before, as Kylo Ren's does. Well, because so, you're exactly right. Lineage mattered in the first trilogy because it was the son ultimately going against the father. That's not this story. Yeah. Like, why make it a part of it? So, like, Snoke is super powerful in the dark side, and he trained himself, or maybe he had a master who he destroyed, his face was disfigured. Boom, he's there. He saw a power vacuum and he moved into it. That's all you need to know. Yep. And, like, the rest of it, it doesn't actually matter in the story that I think we're being told here. Whereas everyone else's past matters more. Snoke's does not. It could have. They just decided not to walk down that path. And, and Ray's matters insofar as, as it is thematically resonant and symmetrical with Kylo Ren's. The only thing else I want to say about this is that I wrote a post two days before I saw the movie where I was not 100% right, but I was on the right path to be like, hey, Ray's parents are not going to be characters we have ever heard of before. It's not going to be a big deal. And I just want to say that I was right because a lot of people came at me and were like, a lot of people came at me and were like, you put spoilers up, you saw it at a press screening and you wrote an article about it and pretended it was conjecture. And I just want it on the record that no. That was all me. So good. I mean, Susanna, I mean, to believe (laughs) this, you have to believe the evilest person in the galaxy, though. (laughs) I'm just saying. Guilt by association. All I have to do do is look at (laughs) Daisy Ridley's, at Ray's face when she admits it. She knows that, she knows what's true about it. She knows that she's been burying that deep and trying to have hope that her family will come back for her when... Deep down, she knows that they were not good to her. That is part of it. You've always known it, yeah. And this is like an archetypal thing where it with yeah. children who have lost parents, they're off, you know, being spies. They're doing important work. There is a reason, damn it, that that parent wasn't there. They are doing something so extraordinary, it's the only thing that justifies not being there for the child. Like, that is... I think a lot of people can can re- relate to that idea. Um, and it's it's mirrored in a lot of ways in one of my other favorite science fiction movies of this year, uh, Blade Runner. Because it's the same – our hero in that film also spends most of the movie believing in his heart that he is someone important, that he has special purpose, that he came from someplace important, that he will matter in a meaningful way. And it turns out – spoilers for Blade Runner 2049. It turns out that that might not be the case. (laughs) So, like, there's these two films that kind of explore this idea of what if, even if you have a crappy past, what you do right now Mm -hmm. can still improve the world and the people around you. And I think that message is flippin' amazing. And, like, the world of Joseph Campbell myths and Harry Potter where... If we're abused, it's because at some point someone's going to rescue us and tell us how great we are. Maybe it's up to every individual to find something in their heart to allow them to continue Mm -hmm. to do good things Mm -hmm. because doing good things is good. Not because they come from someplace or they have something special innate. Nailed it. 
that yeah. yeah that they can pull themselves up by their tiny you know heart bootstraps mm-hmm. <laughs> right that's why that's why her lineage doesn't matter to me because it yeah. doesn't she doesn't she you don't need a chosen one i got a really nice email from somebody whose name i don't remember i apologize but after the first part of this podcast uh, it was about this and i think it's absolutely right like Focus on Ray, not where she comes from. Focus on her decisions. Focus on her choices. Focus on her, like, kick-ass lightsaber fight uh-huh. with her worst enemy against right. a bunch of, like, saber-wielding guards. Ray is amazing, <laughs> and it makes no difference where she came from. I mean, it could. But it doesn't. Like, it could you, could. you could perhaps enhance it with a little bit of spice, right? Like, maybe. But, but <laughs> yeah, it's just, like, it's, yeah, that is my whole point here. Like, just let Ray be. Look, Ray has been... Ray, uh, I think this movie, in some sense, sacrifices uh, Ray's sort of character development in some sense at the expense of Luke. Like, this really is. By the third time I saw this movie, I realized this is really a movie. It's almost entirely just about getting Luke Skywalker to be Luke Skywalker. Um, and they, there are wonderful scenes with Ray and, and Kylo Ren talking back and forth and, and sort of exploring stuff. But pretty much Ray is exactly who she was at the end of this movie, um, having survived a test, of course, in the middle, as she was at the end of the previous movie, which is like she's a good person trying to do the right thing. And she, in the situations, continues to do that. And this is an example of of her it coming from inside of her. It doesn't have to come from a Skywalker. Yeah, I think if, I think if she's learned something over the course of the movie, it's that... Um is that the the magic was inside her all along. And she doesn't need to go recruit Luke and get him to come off his sadness planet. Um, and that she doesn't need... And also that she doesn't need to recruit Kylo Ren. That she has everything that she needs. And as Leia says at the end of the movie, that we have everything that we need right here. Mm-hmm. Ugh, this movie is good, guys. It really is <laughs> It's good. a good movie. Elsewhere in the Star Wars universe, of course, the ragtag rebel fleet is uh, transferring all of their remaining fuel into these uh, buses, basically. And they're going to make a jump in cloaked buses down to the planet (laughs) Crate, where hidden long ago is a secret rebel hideout. And we, we are catapulted into this fantastic battle on the the salt, the mineral planet crate. But before we get there, oh no, wait, did we talk about that last time? I can't remember. What did you want to go back to? I'm talking about uh, Laura Dern's amazing death scene. Oh my goodness, yes. Whoa. We did talk about it a little bit, but let's let's linger here. So as that escape is taking place, thirty shifts. Right. It's all connected. Like it's all connected with um, Finn and Rose getting caught. Oh, that happens also, yes. Yes, at which point Finn and Rose get caught. They don't manage to do the thing. Um, They put a garbage can on top of BB-8 to disguise (laughs) him as an Imperial droid, and it's amazing. It doesn't fool evil BB-8, though. No, no. He he can, anyway. Um, (laughs) So they they get caught, and Benicio Del Toro's character makes a deal to get released instead of executed. And the deal that he gives them is that he stole whatever kind of codes that the, the, uh, that the, the First Order finally needs to notice that there are tiny ships leave. There have been tiny ships leaving the Resistance yeah. this whole movie. Yeah, they're just leaving, and the idea is, well, the they, they'll be scanning for big ships, not little ships. Right. And we happen to know that there's this planet over here that we can escape to. And somehow, and I don't think the movie in any way, shape, or form answers this question, unless I'm missing it, and I've been 
trying to figure it out. Somehow Benicio Del Toro knows that that's the plan, and that's what he sells to save his skin. He was overhearing the radio transmissions in the escape ship as they were only four parsecs away from the fleet. I believe that's, that happened off screen, I think, yeah. Dave. Uh-huh. So the First Order realizes that they're evacuating and begins to fire on the escape pods. Um, and uh, Holdo, who has stayed behind to keep piloting the ship and make sure that the First Order follows them, and, and has this great farewell scene with Leia where... She tells Leia that she's going to stay behind, and Leia. And in, in, in tie-in novels, they've established that Holdo and Leia have known each other since they were adolescents. Oh, they're wow. basically in the same like high school honors program for young politicians. They were in Model UN. Exactly. No, that's actually what it was. It was like an imperial program for for like teenagers who are interested in politics. I'm not joking. Oh, um, oh, that that's a thing. Padme. They were in it. Space Model UN. Yeah. She, she, <laughs> she, she totally went to school to for yeah. political school. Yeah. Just like her mom. And, and, and Leia says, so many losses, I can't take another one. And Holdo says, yes, you can. <laughs> you taught me how. And I cried. Oh, <laughs> the tears. Because that tears. is what Carrie Fisher means to so many people is, you know, as an example of someone who was really open about how life is hard, but life is still good. And that was really good. So Holdo is alone in the ship, and she notices that the First Order has noticed the escape pods. And then, if anyone wants to pick up from me, because I've been talking for a while. (laughs) Then she puts the pedal down and jumps to light speed in the most fantastic interspace collision I've ever witnessed on the silver screen. It was dead silent. The decision to remove sound and to just have it play out silently was so, so good. Emotionally evocative. And in Star Wars, there is sound in space. We know what TIE Fighters sound yeah. like. We know what X-Wings sound like. The the lasers make the very specific laser sound. And then, like, that smash cut to the far shot and then killing the sound and then it's held for like it feels like five to ten good seconds and everything is still and it's just you feel like you're in a mausoleum it's just death and it's so good should have been akbar but i mean (laughs) what what sound could you possibly have created to, to we get it, Charlie. That. Bernie Sanders would have won. Yeah. The, <laughs> moment, the moment Laura Dern hopped up to that pilot's chair, I just internally I was just chanting, Jane Way, Jane Way, Jane Way. Like, <laughs> go to ramming speed. Like, yes. But and before we and before we move on and go back down to crate, I just want a shout, I just want to mention the moment after she smashes into Snoke's capital ship, where they just cut to Hux standing in Snoke's throne room, and everything's on fire, and Kylo Ren is unconscious on the ground, and Snoke is in multiple pieces, Yeah, and there's no Rey anywhere. Simone, the second time I saw it was with everybody from the New York office, and Simone had to hit me to stop me from laughing (laughs) at the expression on Hux's face, (laughs) because Uh he's so, he has no idea the worst thing possible has just happened to him. And then he walked into this room and found out that so many other even worse things were happening. 
Uh-huh. Without him knowing. Mm-hmm. But he does grab for his gun, too. He's, yes. He, he damn near seizes the opportunity. Because that's a relationship we haven't talked about, but just for half a second. Like, I love that those two hate each other. And that yeah. should be some good drama for the next movie. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think... And the fact I, I want to skip backwards for a second, I think shows how messy the script was for this film. Mm-hmm. It does so many things right, but it's so messy. And it, the pacing is so bad. Um, it, just for a minute, because there's not a deep dive here, but the scene where Kylo and Rey just wreck the elite guards, <laughs> yeah. just fight together and murder some fools. <laughs> just straight up... <laughs> Uh-huh. Just see a bunch of people, and they go, "Do you want to kill these people?" And Kylo's like, "Yep," and then they do it, yep. and it's it's a, just a few minutes of really good action, and yep. that's all it is. It's fantastic. Like, it's so it's such an amazing thing they showed in the theater. Thematically, it's good. For, in terms of the action, it's amazing. There's so many brutal lightsaber kills. Yeah. Which is almost worth the, the cost of the ticket alone. <laughs> that ignition through the dude's head. <laughs> it was pretty dope. Uh, that was pretty dope. Anyway, moving on. I just I just wanted to give some respect to how awesome that scene was. Totally. And like mm-hmm. if the rest of the movie was garbage, I almost feel like it that was worth it. It was so good. Moving on. Sorry. While while we're on Snoke's ship though, let's talk a little bit more about Finn and Rose and their misadventures a little further, because they bump into Phasma. Don't they? Do we have to talk about this? I don't even want to talk about it. All right, Ben, why does this bother you so much? I want to to press on this open wound here. Because this is is the first Star Wars movie I have ever seen where I think there's an amazing fan edit that takes stuff out. (laughs) Like, I want a director's cut that's 40 minutes shorter. Because so much of what this film does is ultimately meaningless. Phasma is wasted this scene tells us so little about anything it's just like a little bit of fan service it doesn't have the same weight as ray and kylo killing the elite guards it's Mm -hmm. just it's it's so good that the atsc was ripped in half so we could see (laughs) bb8 freaking with his tiny little robot pinchers (laughs) running the everything about this scene just was like just just Flames on the side of my face. <laughs> side of my face. So angry. I can't really disagree. I can say I can say a nice thing, which is it gives uh, Finn a hero moment in a movie where he's desperately lacking some of those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it also, frankly, like whereas dispatching Snoke, you know, like was a little weird to me. I I was I was happy that they'd got rid of Phasma because. That's the story of of Captain Phasma is she is an awesome suit of armor with like as empty as the suit of armor in the Tower of London, where I assume they keep pieces of armor. <laughs> like she's just not she 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 looked awesome and she looked like she had potential and she didn't have much of anything to do. And when he got rid of her, I I was I was I was waving goodbye. I was like, okay, they have a, next. They have, there's a fantastic series of books by Abrams Books, and it's the Art of Star Wars. The most recent one, the Art mm-hmm. of Star Wars: The Last Jedi, came out, and I tore through that thing yesterday. Put up a story at the website. Um, two things that I pulled out of that book that were very interesting to me. 
Finn had a hero moment in the original script. He was one of the tail gunners on that bomber crew that succeeded in taking Hmm. down the Dreadnought. And he Hmm. was going to be there with Rose's sister when she died. Um, That was cut. That was reworked. And the whole uh, uh, squadron, of course, was lost. Um, In addition, though, Phasma was such a late addition to The Force Awakens, they had to make her costume in five days. Like, she wasn't supposed to be in the movie at all. Well, do you know where she came from? She, like, when I said that she's like an empty suit of armor, like, she, she's she's a suit of, she's literally a suit of armor in search of a character because the armor, I believe it is in The Art of the Force Awakens, uh, where they tell the story of how they were trying to uh, design Kylo Ren's helmet. Precisely. Or whole outfit. And that's where Phas- Phasma was a one idea for Kylo Ren and J.J. Abrams liked it so much that he turned it into a character. It just shows to me on screen, I'm sure there are books and comics and stuff that flesh her out, but like on screen, she just looked awesome and didn't do much else. And of course, Mm -hmm. when uh, uh, Holdo's jump to light speed cuts the ship in half, our heroes are unscathed. They just like get knocked down. Like, I don't know, were all the stormtroopers taken out? In, in an empty hangar. <laughs> but then how did Phasma and all the other stormtroopers get like a football field away from them? I the blocking of it was just <laughs> very right. strange to me. Yeah. Yep. Um, so anyway, they, they get the hell out of there. And now everybody's hurtling towards this final confrontation on Crate. I, I was astounded that Kylo, first of all, was able to get any forces together for, for this assault after suffering the devastation that he had in orbit. Uh, the Supreme Leader is, is dead. Long live the Long Supreme, live leader. The Supreme and leader. Also, let's get everything we have left. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they, they get that force down there, and the the setting for this final battle, I think, was just one of the most complex land masses that they've ever conceived but it was it was just also incredibly mm-hmm. beautiful it's this rich red earth but it's covered covered with just a tiny crust of salt such that when you dig a trench line the trench line is red underneath and it's the, this literal red gash this red line out in front of the blast shield that's that's protecting the the last dozen rebels I just thought it was beautiful. The entire battle was just incredibly gifted uh, by this setting. It does right by Star Wars. Like, that's part of what the Star Wars movies do, usually, right? You come to a planet, and it's like, well, what interesting twist do we have on this planet? This is a lava planet. This is an ice planet. This is a this. And I think... um, this is this this does right by Star Wars in a in, you know visually as a super interesting planet. Yeah, they've got the they've got the speeders that leave a trail on the ground. Oh, and, yeah. you know they make sure it's all ground troops, and they even use it in um we'll get there uh the Luke's fight with Kylo Ren, um which is they show their feet a lot yeah. in that fight, and Luke does not yeah. leave footprints. Yes, himself. I saw that the second time around. Dun dun dun. Wait, what? <laughs> and so they've they've got these gorilla walkers though. And I when I originally saw the gorilla walkers in the, the, the trailer that was released, I was not pleased. I'm like, oh god, they, they looked just didn't like the design? They looked 
childish to me. It's like, what would a, a six-year-old do to make an at-at look cooler? But I, on screen, in the movie, they felt menacing. They felt powerful. They yeah, felt... They, don't, they didn't really do anything different than a standard walker. No, but the standard walkers were there too, yes, Susanna. They, they were. were actually, yeah. They were tiny little they things. Just, like... <laughs> Oh. I just assumed. I know this is total headcanon, uh, um, unless I've just accidentally figured something out. The design never bothered me. I just assumed that it was like, oh, on Hoth they took us down with some cables, so like we're gonna beef up the legs so that doesn't happen. Hmm. I don't know. Well, they're also much more articulated legs too. They can kind of like widen their stance. Would you call that an arms race? Oh God! <laughs> God! That joke has legs. <laughs> the other thing that was really great about this, though, was they brought the humor back. We had been so dark and so serious with Ray and Kylo for so long, cutting people in half, talking about our parents. I don't know. I thought it was pretty funny when Snoke clobbered her on the back of the head with a lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, now we've got uh, the, the floorboards dropping out and, and, and people's feet coming out of the front of these speeders. I thought it was great levity. I love I loved the, just those shots of resistance people setting up rebel era communications equipment like recognizing all of that just just put a just put a pan, a, a pattern on a piece of glass and stick it in this folding thing yep. and we'll pretend that it's sci-fi radar yep there you go right again this is the movie going like yes we can use nostalgia for good purposes because i think that's what exactly what it was designed to do right go like yeah this is star wars i get it this is how mm-hmm. desperate they are and I loved, I loved, I liked um, Finn and Rose coming down in the First Order ship and just managing to smash through underneath the closing gate and having to be like, no, no, it's us. Don't shoot. Please stop. We came here very fast in order to be trapped with everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> what have you two been up to? It turns out nothing. Not much. We yeah. haven't been able to impact anything. <laughs> I'm so sorry we wasted literally everyone's time. Well, I hope no one died Also, while we by were the away. way, it's it's our fault that, that the First Order is here. Yeah, it turns out that, uh, <laughs> that Poe makes very bad decisions. And so... The, the... We freed a horse. <laughs> they did... There was one did, horse. Did you... <laughs> How many people died? Oh, but we got the one horse. The climax of the battle, of course, comes. The first climax of How the battle. How about a comes. less exciting pod race? <laughs> <laughs> what if we do a pod race again, but it's narratively meaningless? <laughs> what is it inspired by? Because I saw the pod race and it's like old race. Nothing. <laughs> it visually harkens to nothing. There's no resonance at all. Ryan Johnson was sick that week. <laughs> Will you let me get hey, to the next point. I just want one more thing. What if, Ben? I know, I like what you're saying, but what if? What if? What if the effects were kind of the worst in the movie? Right? Yeah. No, I like it. Sold. I like it. Like it looked good, but not real good. We know this has to be 300 minutes for whatever reason, and you got to save money somewhere. So just. 20-minute horse stampede with bad special effects. All right, gen- and- gentlemen, Charlie's being very polite. <laughs> Make sure that poor, the casino is boring looking. <laughs> that part can't be interesting. What if it looks like Naboo-ish, which is everybody's least favorite planet? Oh, so it's the Venetian. <laughs> like, we have one of those. You can go now. Are you finished? Ugh. 
Hey, hey, Charlie, come, why don't you, Charlie, because... come back. We're done. Hi. Hi, how are you? Huh. Cut that out. Now, the, the first climax of this battle comes with Finn white-knuckling it, tearing off his headset, disobeying orders from Poe to turn around and retreat. You've turned off your targeting computer. Are you all yeah. right? <laughs> and he's going right down the gut. This is Finn not running away, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's his character. Like, this is him growing. I like this. And it's Poe yelling at someone who's being insubordinate to him. Bingo. You know. But here comes Rose. I don't know how she maneuvered her speeder in such a way to do this, but she hits him from the right side, and they both go tumbling out of the danger zone of this colossal laser blast that's going to be generated here. And and they're both fine-ish, but now... Now we've got a, a, a budding relationship here between Rose and Finn. And, and Rose goes to, to, uh, to Finn and she goes, you know. It, uh, she I, says, this she is says, how we're going to win. Thank you. Not by fighting what we hate, by saving what we love. Yep. And she boops him on the nose and gives him a little kiss him there. Mm-hmm. And there. A, it's a lovely line, but, but also they're going to need a lot of firepower. So it's not strictly speaking true. The, I initially hated this. I hated everything about this. Why is that? I hated the whole thing with, with, with her knocking him out of the way. I'm just like, let him die. Let him do the thing. And then, then we win. Then it's great. That's fine. Like this, to me, was an acceptable sacrifice. This wasn't an entire <laughs> wing of bombers. This was one dude in the right place to do the thing. Just do the thing. But here comes Rose. But the second time that I saw it, I... I, I, I cried. I really did. I, th- that was the uh, emotional height for me watching this film. And, and I don't know if it was after the year that we've had to hear someone say, stop hating. Stop being so angry. Stop being so anti-anything. And just love. Let yourself love, and let's protect, and let's celebrate, and let's be here when it's all over. It, it felt marvelous to hear that be such a such a resonant message in this movie. That's really nice, Charlie. I don't know. What do you guys think of this? I think that I buy Rose being interested in Finn. I'm not sure that I buy. I got. I mean, I just got very much like friendship chemistry from them, not necessarily romantic chemistry. And I think it's they leave it. The movie to me leaves it sort of unclear whether or not Finn reciprocates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to watch that play out over the next film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't have the sense. <laughs> that there's much of a plan for exactly how they're going to work out. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I think the Lucasfilm story group just lets everybody do what they want to do, and then the next person picks up and does what they want to do, and then the next person picks up but and does what they want to do. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see. I can't say I'm super invested in it. Yeah, well, that's that's something we need to talk about as well when it's all said and done, but... We're going to get to the reemergence of Luke Skywalker here in a minute. But first, a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode of Quality Control is brought to you by Freshly. Freshly is going to deliver you fully cooked, 
fully prepared meals. It's just going to leave them on your doorstep. No more coming home wondering what's for dinner or skipping lunch because you don't have time to make it. Freshly's team of chefs and nutritionists are here to save the day. They've saved my day a couple of times during the holiday season already. You get to skip the shopping, the chopping, and the cleanup. All you got to do is heat them up and boom, your meal is ready to eat in only three short minutes. To try Freshly out, you can actually go to Freshly.com slash quality control, all one word, to get $20 off your first week. That's six meals for just $39 plus free shipping. This offer is only valid for a limited time. So go to Freshly.com slash quality control for $20 off and free shipping. Consider dinner done. Thank you for joining us. Once again, we're here with Susanna Polo, Ben Kachera, Dave Tack. I'm Charlie Hall, and we are talking about Star Wars, The Last Jedi. We just got our heroes all together down onto crate. Finn has just dragged a semi-conscious rose back into the rebel base. And who shows up out of the misty darkness? But none other than Luke Skywalker himself. He's back. I was listening, I was listening, the soundtrack to this movie is up on Spotify now, and I was listening to it yesterday, Uh. and got to, just listening, you know, and suddenly realized, I was like, oh man, it's so nice to hear John Williams do Luke and Leia's theme again. It's so gorgeous, it's so nice, and it was working, and then I immediately realized, oh, this theme is playing because it's that scene and paused yeah. it and like had to have had to like refocus on my work because I could not think about this scene and be productive at the same time. You know, who's never disappointing in star Wars, uh, John Williams, never yeah. ever really. Like I remember thinking about this, like in an era when like Indiana Jones and the crystal skull was disappointing and the Star Wars prequels were disappointing to a lot of people. And, you know, we we can't return to Richard Donner's super like Superman Returns was yeah. disappointing and like all this stuff. John Williams has the gift to go back to his earlier work and build on it in a way that feels yeah. just like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It's uh, he's he is constantly great. I, I I have a friend who's been saying for nearly 20 years that the best thing about episode one was the score. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's a duel of the fates. Yeah. Is yeah. Like you you want to think it's like overrated then you go back and listen to it and you're like no it's perfectly rated yeah, like the, that the is the love like... theme that he gave Anakin and Padme in oh absolutely is gorgeous yeah. um and he, even just like the the cute little hero theme that he gives Rose and Finn in this movie is just lovely and Ray's theme is amazing the i don't know if you guys have listened to it but if anybody everyone who is listening to this go to Spotify find the credits track for The Last Jedi and listen to the last 60 seconds of it. The final, like, 30 seconds of that track, John Williams, this isn't a mashup somebody made, John Williams lays Mm -hmm. Luke's theme, the Force theme, over Ray's theme. They work together. He built them that way. Okay, I gotta do that. Uh, The podcast is over. so good. Yeah. (laughs) Um... (laughs) No, it's not, because uh, we got a lot to talk about here with Luke. This, sadly, though, this is probably the last time that we will, well, no, it absolutely is the last time that we're ever going to see Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher together on screen. Hmm. And, you know, that's that's for a number of real-world reasons. We, we lost a princess this year. But it's also because this is Luke's last act, coming to say goodbye and to distract the First Order so that the Rebels can escape. And, and he gives 
Leia the the dice off Han's dashboard, and and he marches out to do battle. What did you guys think of this this final scene between these two famous actors? I was uh, he showed up, and I was one hundred percent convinced that he was a projection because I looked at his hair, jeez, and I looked at his beard, <laughs> and I said. That's different hair. Yeah, he got a little haircut. And his yeah. beard is all uh, brown now. Yep. Not not filled with gray. Oh, see, I chalked that up to, oh, he decided to, like, cut his hair and shave because he was coming back to civilization. And this is a part of his, like, hero sure. transformation. Yep. And blah, blah, blah. Exactly. And, and as I'm watching the scene and getting lost in it, that replaces my initial thought in my head. And uh, smash cut to, and we don't have to get there yet, but smash cut to five minutes later in the movie or whatever, when he steps outside, I had completely forgotten that I had <laughs> accidentally figured it out. And I was a thousand percent invested in exactly Beautiful. what was going on right now. Beautiful. To the point where when the, re- when the reveal happens, uh, I may have screamed and started clapping and, <laughs> and laughing. Yeah. There's a very subtle thing that confused me because I was like, well, if he's Luke's doing this incredible thing where he is connecting everyone in this area through the Force, making sure that they all see this vision of him, how does he do that to see three PO? Do droids sense the Force? What's going on? And it was he, no C three PO knows that, that is what was pointed out to me by folks in our by I think Ben in our office. Wait, wait, t- t- wait, explain that it to the me. way C three PO says Master Luke is questioning. And I remember in my viewing of it going, well, hmm. he, like, why? That's the thinking that that was kind of a strange tone of voice, but okay, like, it's kind of a strange. And Luke winks at him, but he doesn't say anything. Hmm. And oh, Ben wow. suggested to me that that was because that 3PO senses him or thinks that it seems or infers that everyone seems to be acting like Luke Skywalker is in the room. Huh. There's so, yeah, there's something going on with C3PO and his little photoreceptors. He yeah. knew. And I, th- I think he could see something, but he also saw enough to realize that it's not just Luke there. And that's when Luke tips him the wink, like... Don't spoil it. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in on this joke. This is the whole thing. Is basically the message yeah. that I got. And so Luke steps out, and every gun that the First Order has on the surface <laughs> of that planet lays into him... In a, and creates a giant red fireball, the likes of which the universe has never seen before. I love how much of this final battle is everyone manipulating Kylo Ren's rage. <laughs> like Ray, like Chewie does it with the Millennium Falcon and um, pulling the pulling the fighters off of you know Finn and Poe and Rose, um, and then Luke walks out here and is just like, "I'm just going to stand here, and that'll be all I need to do." Yeah, and it's it is it is proof if anybody had any doubt about where. If this was the old Kylo who was conflicted or anything, like this scene is proof that that is behind us. Like we're like no quarter, no prisoners, uh, mm-hmm. and we're gonna fire every gun at Luke Skywalker. Like he has uh, transformed. This is the proof. Yeah, he he no longer has a problem with the idea of killing his mother. Mm-hmm. And he walks out of that fireball and just completely unscathed, knocks a <laughs> moat of dust off of his right shoulder. What a badass! I didn't think that moment landed. Really, I, I thought it was. I thought it was an unnecessary little wink that didn't need to be there. I thought it was a bit much, but I was willing to go with it. Yeah, I was just. Right. I was just. I, I I had already bought in. They got me. 
Remember, <laughs> remember what I said about Luke last time. What we're ha- yeah. what what's happening here is Luke is being the Luke that I know. So I was, I was just thrilled. And Kylo brings the ship down, throws Hux into the ball, and the pilot of his personal <laughs> craft goes right away, sir. That <laughs> was great. And um, Kylo steps out, and they have the final confrontation that we, that, that frankly I didn't expect them to have. I did not see this fight coming. Absolutely not at all. And I, I was so happy, Susanna. I was so happy <laughs> that this was a thing that they were going to do. I, I'm just sitting there like, they're going to duke it out and it's going to be amazing. And as a way of blending the sort of post-prequels like wire foo influenced like modern lightsaber techniques with you know, Luke and Vader didn't really do any of that. Right. I think this was a really well choreographed fight scene. It telegraphs too, like it is total, it is action that shows character, right? Because mm-hmm. Kylo Ren is angry and aggressive as the dark side guy, right? And what Luke's reaction is, uh, I'm just going to move out the way. It is Qui-Gon meditating while Darth Maul paces. It is, it's, it's, it's note perfect from just physical actions. Nailed it, Dave. Yeah. And I think this is the moment where I didn't, it didn't tip me off the first time I saw the movie, but I started, I think I started to wonder, but even though I was wondering, I didn't actually believe it, is that I was sort of like, I remember I was watching and being like, are they making footprints in the salt? <laughs> they keep showing us their feet. And I kept trying, and I was never sure whether I was actually seeing Luke make them or not, or if it was yeah. just, they just hadn't put them in, you know, I, I like, I bought it so, I bought into it so heavily that it, that was not a tip off to me. And it it really, that fight, because of all the camera work they do on the feet and things, it holds up to repeated viewings. I've seen it uh, twice now, and I'm looking forward to seeing it a third time so that I can pick up more little tells about how clever Luke Skywalker was in this battle. And then then Kylo Ren stabs him in the chest, and he, he goads Kylo Ren into striking him down. And tells him that if you, if you, and echoing Obi-Wan, but in mm-hmm. so much, in like a much more personal way, says, if you strike me down, I will be with you forever, just like your father. Oh, oh, the mortal wound, yeah. the mortal wound. Yeah. That was a good line. See you around, kid. Ugh. Speaking of dad. Then, but then, we, we go back to the Jedi Temple. We go back to Octo, to where Luke Skywalker has been meditating and levitating and astro-projecting and all these things. And and he dies. Right there in front of the twin sons of Octo. And his story is over. Yeah, like Yoda's was when he died? <laughs> well, I mean... I did not expect them to kill Luke in this movie. Hmm. They I, didn't. I absolutely. Well, come on, Ben. He chooses to become one with the living force. He. They didn't kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean, though. I don't see. It's. It's. I did not expect. I'm. What I'm trying to say is that I did not expect them to kill Luke. I did expect them to remove him from the board, in some way. I did not expect this to be a movie where we saw Luke die because we already did that in the last film. That mm. we already we already killed somebody. But this was such a different kind of death 
that I think it it worked. And it's I think it's one of the few ways that I would have that I like felt completely emotionally at peace with. Like, yes, this wow, they actually this is a good death for Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And after he does this like thing that helps everyone and will hopefully take a step towards bringing balance to the force. Like maybe he's not looking to the horizon anymore. Like maybe that's what he needed to do in that moment. Like maybe he just felt that and then went with it. Like we don't know why yet. And I think that's an important thing because whenever Luke stops to think about the whys and the what's next, he trips himself up. And I think it was to save Ray. I think that's what he and Yoda talk about that, you know, it's it's the same thing as the last thing that um, that Obi Wan and Yoda talk about in in uh, uh, Return of the Jedi, that uh, that you know that boy is our last hope. No. Um, there is another. no, there is another. Um, but in this one, Yoda's like, no, we need we need to work for Rey. That she is so. What is next? Did anyone else when they do this shot? And it's like a Luke point of view shot, and you see the sun. Like I, w- I, I thought it was such a strong callback to that scene in uh, the Force Awakens with the Tie Fighters, hmm. the apocalypse in the, now in shot. the sun. Mm. Yeah, I kept expecting to see a ship moving towards Luke. It's a little sunspot or something. Yeah, when he looks, yeah, it looks like there's something there, and I, it, it's actually surprising because there isn't. Yeah, but no, it, it's like. It's such a visually evocative moment yeah. that, like, someone else had to be in that screening room and go, "Oh, are we doing something with like the last movie with this?" But no, it's just it's the sun. It's just Luke looking to the horizon again, guys. No, it's it's twin suns. It's a callback to Tatooine. Sure. It's a callback yeah. to our first moment with Luke, and um, and it made me wonder, like, is this supposed to be a hallucination, or has it just been? Have we just never been actually shown the horizon? On Achto until now. Yeah, visually that whole scene was just confusing, and it, it didn't really make sense what they were trying to get across because it seemed like it was referencing a lot of things at once and never settled down. And then he floats away. <laughs> well, I I think so. Uh, already well documented that I have a problem connecting the Luke Skywalker of the original trilogy to this one. But if we leave that aside for a second. I think the movie is largely internally consistent in the way that it treats Luke, which is his arc here is I am out and there's nothing you can do to bring me back. And he ends the movie coming back. And that's not just in the service of this particular story. It's not just important for the moment. Like, yes, he saved uh, the rebellion, but like the spark that lights the fire that burns down the first order that happens because of Luke Skywalker. And we know that because of the scenes that happen after this, where in faraway worlds, children speaking in foreign languages are already playing with toys. And one of the toys is Luke Skywalker. And then of course the ending, which we'll get to, but like, even though I, uh, sort of like my mind is treating this Luke Skywalker as a slightly alternate universe version of him. Mm-hmm. It is, I think, even though he doesn't, like I say, act like a guy I feel like I know for a long time, his his journey through this movie is enormously impactful. Like, 
I, I wish he didn't have to go through, and I have plenty of disagreements with why what happened happened, but ultimately it's in service of him being Luke Skywalker and inspiring the future. While weirdly, again, in a very The Last Jedi way, also ending while trying to have it both ways, which is Luke both inserts himself into the narrative that he said he wasn't going to and then immediately removes himself from the narrative. And while all of this is going on, everybody else in the movie is trying to get out of a cave. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Because of the Crystal Fox Pokemon, Mm -hmm. who are awesome and I want one as a pet, I will pay any amount of money. (laughs) They follow the Crystal Fox Pokemon into a deadfall of stones, and Ray finds the Crystal Fox Pokemon on the outside and finds the deadfall and looks at it and goes... Lifting rocks. This is 100% a Weird Al reference, is it not? Is it? Like the, the yo. What? Oh my God. Okay. So. Oh, yeah, I think I, I. No, I think I vaguely know what you're talking about. Just, it's from Yoda. This, do we not? Oh. Well, I know. Apparently, we all didn't grow up exactly like me. Little green lump sitting there in a log. In a raspy voice, that said, My name is Yoda. That's all. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, right. I, I lifted some rocks. Like it's Okay, totally, yo, 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 yeah. Yes. Right, exactly. It. And like <laughs> when when Weird Al is singing the song, he's singing about uh I picked up some rocks, which is basically Ray's lovely but childlike right. idea of what the force is. And you know, they funnel that into this joke, which is But then she just gets to yeah. have this stage to prove herself she gets to be a space witch in front of all of her friends and that's that embrace that her and finn have Mm, in that moment is just so beautiful it's so she ray gets this look on her face when she is hugging finn that she does not otherwise ever have it's he does something for her because he's the one person who came back for her He's as close as she has to family. And she finally gets to meet Poe. Yeah, I, I can't understand. <laughs> like, they couldn't just have a cup of coffee at some point during the last movie? Like, really? I guess. They actually, they cut out a brief, like, shot of her and Poe um, meeting each other at the end of Force Awakens. It just didn't oh, make it on. into the final cut of the movie. So funny. But she also has that very meaningful moment, again, kind of projecting through the Force with Kylo Ren, and she closes the door of the Falcon meaningfully by cl- mm-hmm. uh, and closes the, the the door to Kylo Ren. They are on other sides mm-hmm. of the Force forever mm-hmm. and always going forward now. Mm-hmm. So stop me if this is too nerd, but... Okay. Go on. When, <laughs> when they were speaking before, we were told that it was Snoke doing it, and then we just had a discussion about how Luke use the force to fool all of the humans around that he was there. But if Luke's out of the equation and Snoke's out of the equation, how do they see each other? Ah, I have an answer for you. I have an answer. If if they did in fact see each other, which I can allow, I'm, I'm ambivalent as to which way th- that goes. At that very moment, Kylo is holding the dice from the Falcon. And those dissipate much later than Luke Skywalker does. Charlie, are you suggesting that it's Leia 
I don't know. I really don't know hmm. why. But there was there were these unaccounted for dice, Susanna. No, yeah, I agree. Somebody was holding them there. Residual force energy? Uh, this is too nerdy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But whether they see each other or not, there's a meaningful look in each of their eyes, and, and it is over between them. What could have been is, is gone. But yeah, I don't, I don't think they see each other, but I do think they sense each other in the way that, you know, Leia and Luke have in previous films, um, and the way that Vader and Luke have in previous films you know charlie you saying it's over between them reminds me of something that um that i wanted to mention which is during the scene with luke and leia they agree on one very fundamental and kind of surprising point which is uh there's no saving ben solo Mm -hmm. and like that is uh, that's another twist on the old star wars formula is it not and the one person who does believe that she can help save him or turn him to the light uh is ray and she fails like that is a uh, when you say charlie that she's done with him like i i would always leave the door cracked open for um a reversal but based on what we saw in that movie i think it's absolutely you're absolutely right this is not a movie concerned about saving kylo ren yeah or doing anything the like thing that. about yeah. darth vader's redemption is that it only works if he immediately dies um luke wasn't gonna bring vader back to that ewok party and introduce him to leia <laughs> like be like hey this is our dad i know he killed your whole family and planet but like he's good now that's it only that only works narratively like we can accept like we understand what the force is. We understand that there are metaphysical things at work here about people turning from the dark side to the light. But narratively, that only works if Vader dies immediately. And that's not really an option for us in redeeming Kylo Ren in this film, because there's going to be a third one. Um, and Vader, a lot of Vader's victims are faceless. We're not really attached to them. Kylo Ren is in this different position where he is always going to be the man who killed his father, Han Solo. Mm -hmm. There is a cliff to get over in making his redemption a real redemption that I don't think (laughs) is, that that is really, that is a vanishingly improbable writing trick to pull off. Um, Not not every series can be Avatar The Last Airbender (laughs) and pull off a Zuko. (laughs) Yeah, it it would be it would be fascinating if Luke walks out there and Kylo Ren is like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn myself in. I'm actually going light side. And Luke's like, oh, that's great. Um, so you're under arrest, and we're gonna try you for murder <laughs> because you killed a bunch of people. And I don't know if we have the death penalty or if you're just gonna live the rest of your life in a tiny cell. But yeah, you're going away because you did a lot of bad things. Like, who would take that deal? Star Wars, the police like procedural, that- yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah, you're under arrest, kid. I'm sorry. <laughs> Aren't you glad you broke that dumb mask? Anyway, let's take you in. Let's get you fingerprinted. You killed. You killed your dad. Like people were there. You killed we're your dad. Call my witnesses. best friend. Like, yeah, I don't know what you expected to happen. Oh, let's go rebuild. You built a planet that eats stars <laughs> and kills other solar systems. And then you killed your dad on it. 
who is my best friend. <laughs> anyway, I forgive you, and I guess you just get to go free? <laughs> no! There's, there's no way out. Oh man, I want, I want. Can we get the robot chicken people this podcast? Can we make this happen here? I want to see this with action figures. I want him to negotiate for immunity to like. <laughs> can I get a? Lo- I want to. I want to cut a deal because I know people. I'm gonna flip and, like, on Hux. smash cut to hugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> After this climax here, this battle. The, the rescue of the rebels, which there's like nine of them left alive, I guess. That's the entire resistance. The movie the movie is over, but there is still one scene left. And we go back to Canto Bite. And we go back to the children in the stalls that were tending to those racing animals. They're retelling the story of the battle on crate with Luke Skywalker and the, the that giant laser and all the walkers and they're you know the one kid is telling the story to his friends and it, I, I finally grasped that my second time around I it, it happens so fast I would have liked for them to linger a little longer in that scene so I, I grokked it better the the second time around but then the other thing I didn't see the first time through is <laughs> that one of them has the force. That force pull is so subtle for something that means so much to that final scene. He reaches out, grabs that broom, and begins sweeping, and he grabs it with the force. So, Susanna, did you see it the first time around? I missed it completely. Really? Okay. I did, too. How about you guys, Dave, Ben? Oh, yeah, I noticed. After giving it a second thought, depending on what the time frame is, how did he even know the details of that battle? Yeah. (laughs) Well... Is this something he is? uh, No, I I don't even think it's a plot hole. Is this something he like dreamed through the force? Is this something he saw? No, he was receiving the story. He was receiving the story, not telling it. Like if he if he's connected to the living force in like a strong way, it's possible he was able to witness it. We have already established astral projection (laughs) is apparently a thing. So like the more I thought about that scene, the more I was like, oh, this kid is actually like really strong Mm -hmm. in the force and that's i mean it's possible one of the rebels like is infiltrating the base and told the story and somehow it trickled down to the urchins who were but that i don't buy that as much as it's a force thing see i i think this is and i i sort of touched on this a little earlier i think this is the point of this is well there's (laughs) there's a few different points uh i think it is it is why Luke Skywalker is important and why he needed to reinsert himself into the story because Luke believed that uh, at a certain point he made the decision that being Luke Skywalker Jedi Master was a bad thing for the universe. The story of this movie ultimately is the story of Luke reversing that decision and the reason it, it is important for Luke Skywalker to have reversed that decision is because of exactly what we see at the end, which is he's the legend of Luke Skywalker persists and inspires the next generation. Precisely. Star Wars, the next generation, if you will, <laughs> to to like, look, like, remember at the end of the movie where Leia says, like, use my private channel to call all of our friends because we need their help. And not one of them shows up like mm-hmm. this is a bleak ass universe at this point. Right. The, uh, you know, 13 surviving resistance people 
are in a really bad situation when even their friends, they fall down and their friends decide not to pick them up. Right. They need, this story needs more people to join uh, the resistance, which is now, you know, was, was, I guess, always effectively the second rebellion, right? But like that's, that like that is i think what the internal consistency that i talked about earlier within the movie like that's why this works even though if i don't love how we got here i think this works the last shot in empire is you know the, a bunch of people looking out into space outside of a spaceship the last shot in this movie is a kid looking out into space although he's not on a spaceship and he's holding a broom and he is every kid who has ever picked up uh, a broom and used it as a lightsaber like that's us it, yes and and mm-hmm. us as the future it, that scene literally brought the entire fandom into the experience of participating in the resistance Bingo. everybody in that theater with me was ready to take up arms like you know, it was it was <laughs> it was tremendous synergy uh between the, the real life experience of being a fan and and watching the movie at the same time I wouldn't be surprised. This is total crackpot tinfoil hat stuff, so feel free to discount it. It does, it works totally, and this doesn't have to be true to end the movie on such a seemingly minor character. I also happen to know, you know, it's public knowledge that Ryan Johnson's writing a new trilogy. Yep. So I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if that kid had some part to play in that. Yeah, I had I had a, like, crack theory back when they had, all we knew about The Force Awakens is that it was called The Force Awakens. Um, where I was like, huh, I wonder if it's called The Force Awakens because just like a bunch of people some suddenly exhibit force powers and Luke has to train all of them. Mm. Like, I wonder if that's the impetus for this new trilogy. Like, oh, there are a bunch of new people with force powers and now it's kind of like a, a, a race to see how many of them we can make sure don't go over to the dark side and how well, you know, one the one the galaxy's one remaining Jedi can sort of handle rebuilding the jedi order turns out what we got is i think more interesting than that (laughs) but maybe that's a storyline that we get you know down the line after this one is resolved what if kylo ren kills him and it turns out he means nothing (laughs) (laughs) well that's you know that's the cautionary tale for everyone now going into the last film you know be careful what you conspiracy for (laughs) (laughs) i am so excited to meet ray in this third film because for so long for two entire movies she's been ray from jakku but now now she has so much more authority so much more ownership so much more strength of will i feel and she now she's ray hero of the resistance and i cannot wait to meet that woman in a couple years what i'm what i'm really afraid though what i'm really afraid though is what we were talking about in the last episode and, and that's what we lost when we lost Carrie Fisher. I don't know mm-hmm. how this third film recovers without her. I'm, I'm very concerned. Clearly it's going to be, maybe it's not clear, but I'll, I'll say the words then. I feel that this third movie is going to be very far in the future, where these two movies felt yeah. like they took one right after the other preceding events. This one is going to be like 10, 15 years Hence, we've rebuilt the rebellion to some extent, the, the resistance to some extent, but also the First Order has consolidated power. Like, how much more powerful do they get than the ships and the weapons that they had in this? I don't know. 
Um, but they are going to be a force to be reckoned with, as will Kylo Ren. But before we go, I'll say one thing that I've been thinking about lately, which is that Last Jedi was the first time that I really felt like Star Wars had a logical technological like progression. <laughs> Like, they, I know we all got really confused when we went back to the prequel series and everything was really shiny and nice and the technology felt like it was better than what everybody had in the original trilogy. And with this one, I feel like we have actually made some scientific leaps in the last 20 years <laughs> that make actually feel like technological advancement on a scale, a recognizable scale. Um They'd be like, yeah, we would reverse engineer Death Star stuff and turn it into smaller weapons. And like, yeah, we would maybe somebody would finally figure out how to track ships through hyperspace and that there would be these evolutions. I'm sorry, that didn't really have anything to do with what you were saying, Charlie. No, no, that's that's it's going to be, you know, so much has been overturned, including the tech that it's. Yeah. To bring it back around, I guess I will say that I don't think it'll be that far in the future, maybe a year or so, but almost certainly <laughs> not like tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. More than anything, guys, I. I enjoy so much spending this time with you each year. It helps me to process these movies, and it helps to do it with people as smart and as loving as yourselves. Thank you so much for the time, and I cannot wait to do this again for the Han Solo movie next year. It won't be that long. Oh, it's not even going to be Christmas time next year. When is it coming out? May 25th. Holy Oh, geez. my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. We all got used to this rhythm. My whole internal clock will be thrown out. I won't know what to do. It won't be Star Wars and then Christmas. I will talk to you guys again when we have another Star Wars movie to talk about. This is Charlie Hall for Susanna Polo, Dave Tack, and Ben Kachera. Thank you for listening to Polygons Quality Control. Quality Control.